Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today is an August 3rd edition of the MSP Initiative, MSP Talk. Uh, going to go through some housekeeping like we do at the beginning of every one of these sessions, and then we're going to get into the good stuff. So here we go. You will find everything we do here at mspinitiative.com. I always joke, if you can learn how to spell the word initiative, you're already there. This session is being recorded, and you will see this in podcast and video format here under the sessions tab or in your favorite podcatcher. Uh, we have an in-person event, not next week, but the week after, August 14th and 15th in Denver. Uh, we parked the tour bus after three years, and like 4,000 people came out over that time. And they told us they wanted an education event. And we said, you got it. So we brought in both MSPs and industry experts alike. We have panels in the morning. We have workshops in the afternoon. This event is 100% free to attend if you're an MSP. There is no 399 early bird registration here. Um, literally just get out to Denver, register if you're an MSP, and you will get access to a whole lot of knowledge in one place. And we hope that this is the type of event that you asked us for. So there's that. We have three more of our famous block parties left for this year. We have the MSP Community Boat Party, which is uh, in Fort Lauderdale, August 23rd. Um, we're doing this uh, in conjunction with the guys over at Taylor Business Group and the big, big conference. Uh, but if you're an MSP and you happen to be in South Florida, um, there's nothing stopping you from jumping on. Again, 100% free to you. Uh, this was really cool. We've done this a couple of times now. Um, I think you will absolutely love it, especially if it's good weather outside. And so far it has been. Uh, then we have DatoCon Miami. If you're headed down to Miami, October 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, let me just switch pages real quick. Uh, we are doing a party called the MSP Community Block Party uh, in conjunction with that event. So definitely check that out. Or again, if you happen to be in that area, stop on by. Lastly, we have the MSP Community Block Party in Orlando. Uh, that is the big one that kind of anchors the year for us. Last year, we brought out the All-American Rejects. That's right. Ben, you've been here on the radio for a decade uh, to come out and do a private concert for the MSP community. 100% free. You're starting to catch the drift free for you. We're just trying to create cool experiences for you. Um, so we will be announcing our band or bands, plural, shortly. Stay tuned. Uh, then we have community offers. These are just hookups from companies around the industry trying to take care of you. And lastly, industry calendar, literally just our homework on the year of all the cool things happening out and about. We are already building into 2024 just so that you know what's going on. If we're missing something, submit it and we will try and add it to the schedule for you. There it all is. That is all the things we have cooking out here in MSP Initiative land. Now that all of that homework is out of the way, today's special guest speaker, Mr. Nick Wolf. How are you doing today, buddy? Woo, doing good, George. Great to be talking with you again. Yeah, man. It's been a while. It's been a, it's been a long while. I know um, we like to start these calls and like kind of concentrate on you, the person, right? Because a lot of people don't understand what happens underneath the scenes, right? And I always love to hear people's journeys through the industry, right? Because everybody comes from all these different places. Um, so uh, for people who have never met Nick Wolf, uh, why don't you give us a walk down uh, memory lane? Tell us kind of like what your path's been and how did you get ultimately where you are now? And then we'll go from there. Yeah, sure thing. So I've been in the channel for about uh, 12 years now. Uh, I originally started in the channel back in 2011 as one of the first employees of a tiny company called uh, Datto. You might have heard of it. Um, 
and maybe uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> brief, brief, maybe. Uh. Yeah, and the way that I started with Datto was uh, I went to the same high school as the founder of Datto, Austin McCord, and I was involved in the high school technology club. And one day, Austin uh, comes in and he starts giving out all these like little external hard drives out to all the kids in the tech clubs going, I'm building a backup company. It's called Datto. I need people to test this out. Here's some backup devices and like, give me your feedback. Let me know. So I got a device. It, it was huge. It was huge. It was uh, 500 gigs at the time. Huge, huge amount of data back in like 2008, 2009. And being a normal high school kid, I did what anybody would do. I would uh, back up my LimeWire to it and all my Weird Al MP3s and, you know, what, whatever else I was downloading, which was not good for my computer. Tested out the original data device, backed it up. I'm like, that's cool. Uh, unplugged it. Didn't think about it for a few years. And then when I'm in college, a few years later, I'm starting to think about my my future, my career. And one of my buddies was a developer and he already had a job at Datto. And he's like, yeah, remember that backup company Austin was talking about a few years ago in high school? It's 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 legitimate now. And I'm like, all right, well, how big is it? And he's like, yeah, we're huge. We got like 13 employees right now. And I'm like, wow, my mind was blown. I'm like, well, 13 employees, that is a huge business for, for someone who talked about backups in high school. So I joined there as their first sales intern, basically doing everything sales and marketing related, competitive data, data sheets, adding leads into the systems. Then I got to work very closely with uh, Rob Ray, uh, working on some events there. And then ultimately, for the last five years of my career there at Datto, I was a sales hunter. So it was my job to onboard new MSPs into the ecosystem, into the program. I got to bring on roughly 750 MSPs during my time on the phones there. And it was an absolute, absolute blast. Got to learn a lot about the uh, the industry, a lot, lot about sales, especially from Rob Ray. And I probably learned more during my early years at Datto than I probably did at college. So that, that was an absolute uh, blast. From there, me and some other Datto alumni, we moved on and uh, helped form a cybersecurity company called uh, Scout Cybersecurity. It was an XDR SOC as a service vendor that we later sold off to Barracuda Networks about two to three years ago. And then uh, most recently, uh, I've been here at Evo Security, and it's a similar story. We're a small startup, and we're growing, and we're growing fast for all things identity and access management related for MSPs. So that's multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, privileged access management. Odds are you haven't heard of us here at Evo, but hopefully in the future, uh, that's going to be changing. So that's an, by the way, really cool story. Um, I mean, you were in the, about the time that you were at Datto, I think me as an MSP, like showed up at the front door and Austin McCord tried to sell me Datto products. Uh, I remember I was um, I was using another competitive product at the time. It broke, uh, and I was like, "Wow, if this happened to my like, it was our internal, you know, kind of backup." And I was like, "Man, if any of our customers run into this problem, we're in big trouble." I said, "Let me go see what else is out there." I, I guess I hit got hit by an AdWords campaign where it was like having problems with X. Try data. I was like, "Oh," I called yep. in, and I was like, "Where are you guys at?" They're like Connecticut. I was like why don't I just come and see you? They're like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm in Philly. I, I can just drive to you. They're like, oh, okay. So drove up and um, I think it wasn't many people in the office at the time. It's probably around like 20 people or so. And Austin McCord and I was just like, 
why do I, does this thing work? Can you show it to me? Like, I want to see it break and I want to see you fix it kind of thing. And um, yeah, I left there with a, like a, a, a car full, full of data appliances at the time. And uh, yeah, that was my start with data. But like, so not long after, probably in the same realm, right, of where you kind of cross connected in your in your journey there, I kind of ran, ran into data too, uh, on the other side. But uh, I, you know, I always thought it was really cool. The, the, that early blueprint, right? Like, listen, we all know how the story went from there and outside money and Autotask and mergers and Vista and all this other stuff, right, that ultimately led to, you know, like the sale of Datto not too long ago, right? But um, it was a cool run, man. And like that early, early days, like the blueprint, the beginning foundation of what the story started on, I wish everybody took like a page out of that book or just straight up Xerox that sucker because I feel like that was the right model for the time. Yeah, it was an absolute blast uh, Cinderella story to go from, you know, a basement company to a billion dollar corporation in a shoe for shoe a few short years. And, you know, I, I give credit to Austin. You know, he made a fun work environment. He entreated his employees. Right. We used to have Nerf gun fights around the office around Easter. He would uh, put hundred dollar bills on in Easter eggs and hide them around the office. And uh, he wouldn't be afraid to uh, pull the occasional joke or prank uh, on his employees. I, I remember when Rob Ray started, he uh, he told Austin, hey, I need a printer for my office. And he said, no problem. The next day, uh, Austin had the entire printing room moved into Rob Ray's office. So a giant like Xerox machine the size of two full desks and everybody was doing their printer prints and copies through there. And then by the second day, Rob was like, all right, get this out of here. <laughs> That is kind of funny. Um, a lot of people feel like that environment doesn't exist, like can't exist anymore um, because there's too much of the, you know, the PEVC playbook that's now been adopted in this particular, I call this the sandbox, by the way, right? Yep. Uh, MSPIT land. And um, there's some truth to that, I think, but I feel like there's this, you know, you, you watch any Facebook group or Reddit or Discord, Slack, I don't know, pick your pick your, uh, your your poison there. There's always somebody harping about, man, you know, like, why is the model not designed properly for the way that we do business, right? Like, we're getting constantly squeezed. I'd love to hear your opinion on that, because like, you've experienced both sides of that, I think, from the other side. Yeah, I, I think what you're going to see, at least with the new coming vendors that are newer to the channel, still needing to build up their, their channel reputation, they're trying to be as MSP friendly and focused as possible. Like, I know one of the things that I did when I joined here at Evo was, all right, we need a pricing model that works for MSPs, which is why there's no contracts with us. There's no minimums. You pay us month to month. None of this three-year auto-renew nonsense. If you like us, great. Keep using us. Keep paying us money. If we suck, if we drop the ball, go somewhere else. We've lost your business and we don't deserve that business anyway. So I think it's really vital for, you know, new businesses, new vendor businesses are targeting MSPs to really understand that and get that. Yes, you're going to be bootstrapped. You're going to need money and you're going to need it fast. But at the end of the day, if you're building a great product that's solving a need for MSPs, MSPs are ultimately going to buy it. You don't need to force feed them with contracts and high minimums. If you're building an awesome product, uh, they're going to buy it. 
Fair enough. Um, and I agree with everything you just said. I think part of the concern, and, and do you get this at your current gig right now? Hey, like, do you plan to sell your company anytime soon? Are there any outside investors right now in the thing? Like, I feel like that's now becoming part of the regular talk track when people are like interviewing prospective vendors. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do hear that from time to time. Uh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, we're not we're not on sale, but we're for sale. Like, you know, there, there, there's always going to be that possibility if someone writes us, you know, a $10 billion check, we'll, we'll look at it. But at the, at the end of the day, though, we're still growing. We're still ramping. Uh, we're privately owned. We just raised uh, some private seed money through uh, Joe Panettiere's company, uh, Channel Angels, uh, which is backed by MSPs. So that, that really makes me proud to work here is that we're building a product for MSPs that's really funded by MSPs. Um, I thought that Halo MSPs approach was kind of interesting. I was reading something that they they launched was that we are not for sale and won't be for sale. Uh, and if we get sold, your contracts are null and void. I was reading that the other day. And I'm like, that's the first time I ever saw that. And that's a very interesting approach. Yeah, I literally was just talking about this exact topic, maybe not last night, the night before. And um, they have put in a, they are now putting a, and you can pull this up, guys, go on Google, uh, a 10-year guarantee that the company will not be sold, they will not take outside investment money, uh, that, that language that Nick just brought up where they're like, you, you know, if we, if we sell the company, you can, you know, leave, you know, your contract will be, if there is a contract, right, they'll just, it'll end, which definitely is like unheard of, right? You know, I was talking to few people about this and like some of them have been in the industry for a long time and they're like that is a bold move like a lot happens in a year two three ten years that is a long time in the sandbox especially for technology companies so um clearly they've they're using that as part of their 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 strategy um they have been seeing a lot of activity um from what i understand um i <laughs> I, I I don't I don't know if I see everybody committing to that in their literally in their contract. I, I think that that speaks loudly for them. I, I they definitely get brownie points for being the first first one, and you are starting to see a lot more vendors pop up. I mean, rewind five years ago, it was the big three. You were either using Kaseya, Data, or Connectwise, and now you're starting enables in there. Yeah, like now you're yeah now you're starting to see a lot more of Synchro and Halo and Ninja and like all these other names starting to to pop up because. MSPs are just getting a little fatigued with, you know, those giant, giant vendors that own 90% of their stack. For some MSPs, it's work if the products are all integrating together and talking well. And then for other MSPs, you know, the integrations don't work so well. I think one of the big problems, and, and again, you talk to a lot of MSPs, and I'm going to pick your brain on this too, like, go back to your example of data, right? They kind of built a lot and then continued to build, right? Like, it didn't really ever feel stale in that in that in that first beginning period, right? Just like any new company, um, I think when people continue paying their bill, they always ask the question: Is this it? Is this done? Is this the end of the road? Like what it does now is what it's going to do, and that's that's where it stops. Or does this thing continue to actually grow and add more functionality? I think that's always a big question, right? As like companies come back up and they're like, Hey, we're raising your price. 
right? Let's say you are on a month-to-month, but then they decide to raise your price or, hey, we're going to auto-renew you for another period, right? It's like, hey, that's cool. Like, are you still are you still building on top of this thing or is it maintenance mode? Yeah, that makes sense. And I think a lot of vendors are going to want stickiness. That's that's why you see a lot more vendors offering more products. Like in the early days at Datto, it was backup, backup, backup. And we did a great job. Set, well, not backup, BCDR, business continuity. We did a great job selling it. But ultimately, after a few years of running with that, we had awesome partners spending you know tens of thousands of dollars with us a month, but we reached 100% uh, penetration with their customers. If the MSB had 80 clients, all 80 clients had a Datto BCDR device. And those MSB business owners were like, your support is awesome. We like working with you guys. You know, can you sell us more things? And that's when we started to expand the offerings. We started offering them networking devices via the open mess acquisition. Then we had the auto task merger. So now we could sell the RMM and the PSA and slowly start to uh, build out a, a more full and complete offering. So I see that happening at my company in the future. We're probably going to be offering more uh, products, uh, both ones that we build internally. And if you take a look around in the industry, uh, a lot of organizations are offering more uh, products to MSPs through internally built products, or they're acquiring companies. Uh, Scalepad's another company. They made, what, six acquisitions so far this year? Uh, Hear nothing but good things over there. I had the pleasure of working with Eric Torres for many years at Datto and, you know, uh, always keeping an eye on them. 100%. Since, since you're definitely on the front end of the house, what I mean there is like sales, marketing, lead gen, you know, prospecting. What is your opinion on the balancing act between picking up the phone and trying to go out there and generate net new customers, new, new logos, like, and, and where, you know, like everybody always says like, Hey, I understand you have a job to do, but there's also the too much too far. Right. What, where's, what's the right blueprint for that from your perspective? Yeah. My, my right blueprint is less and more, less is more. You don't want to be the vendor that gets flamed on Reddit because, Oh, I told this guy, no. And he keeps calling me, you know, three times a week. I want to, especially here at Evo, I want to build a platform where the MSPs want it to the point where, hey, I'm so busy following up with other MSPs, placing orders that if you want more information, you got to email me, right? So I I don't have time in my schedule today to make, you know, 500 outbound calls. We're just too busy with our inbound right now, which is thankfully a good problem to have. 100%. Um, Talk to us a little bit about like your company a little bit, right? Like, how do, how was it started? What was the idea behind it? Like, what, what was like the, the, the reason they started this thing? Yeah, sure thing. So it was founded in uh, 2018, uh, basically because we saw the rising need of identity-based attacks. Um, you know, people getting fished, people getting uh, SIM cards, getting hijacked, et cetera. And we looked at the market space and there's a lot of vendors out there that are doing multi-factor authentication and single sign-on. They're, they're big household names. There's Okta, there's Duo, ju- just to name a few. But when you look at it, who's doing a great job with MFA and SSO, but built a product 100% designed for managed service providers and their small and medium-sized business? 
that's the market that we wanted to penetrate. Similar to what we did at Datto, there was a lot of you know business continuity solutions for enterprises, but there wasn't a lot of them that were specifically designed for small to medium-sized businesses that might just have one server with a couple hundred gigs that they want an image-based backup of. And Datto went after that market and they went after it well. That's exactly what we're trying to do here at Evo Security is give managed service providers and their co customers uh, multi-factor authentication and identity and access management without any channel conflict. You never have to worry about us you know, trying to renew your end user directly like some of the other enterprise vendors have been running into some conflict. I won't name names, but there might be a couple uh, unhappy posts uh, on Reddit recently about that. I love companies that actually, can, you know, their their mar their whole strategy is, hey, we're going to go through the sandbox, right? There's a lot of business to be had there. I agree with you 100% about the conflict, right? Like nobody likes that. And like Microsoft does it, Dell does it. A lot of companies with big names that we all buy stuff from do it. Uh, it doesn't feel good, especially when you work really hard to bring new customers in as an MSP. Like most MSPs don't have, a very formal sales effort, right? A lot of it's through referrals. A lot of it's yep. through just reputation. Um, last thing you want to do is have your vendor calling your end customer trying to sell them something. And then immediately they're like, why are they calling me and not you, right? I mean, it always goes full circle. Um, on the side, you know, like on the, on the whole, what do you offer the MSP and, and why should they get it from you versus somebody else? Obviously we love the channel, you know, only portion of this, but MF, you know, you would think that the story of MFA is really out there, but I keep on running into a lot of people saying that there's still large amounts of people haven't turned it on. Why do you think that is? People are stubborn at the end of the day. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I just want my password to be one, two, three, four, five, and I don't want to have to change it every 30 days. You know, it, no, I'm too small to get hacked, right? You know, I'm not important enough to get hang, hacked and it's really not a matter of if it's a matter of when. So that's why you're seeing uh, IT departments make it mandatory that you have to rotate your password every 30 days. It has to be uppercase, low, lowercase, number sign, 18 characters long at a minimum. And, you know, more and more organizations are going to start making it mandatory to have multi-factor authentication enabled, whether you want it or not not because of any sort of IT protocol or what the MSP is saying, it's really because of cybersecurity insurance. We're seeing that on the rise more and more and more. If you want cybersecurity insurance, you need multi-factor authentication enabled, no ifs, ands, or buts. And it's not just, yeah, I have multi-factor authentication enabled for one client that access one device. It's all users, even Marion Marketing needs multi-factor authentication enabled, and they really need it enabled everywhere. They need it for their servers, their workstations, Office 365, their firewalls, et cetera, because we're starting to see a large amount of claims getting denied because people are going, yep, I have multi-factor authentication, check. And then when they get breached, they say, hey, pay me up. In a recent article, travelers actually denied a claim because yes, that client had multi-factor authentication enabled for the firewall, but they didn't have it enabled on the server and that's where the breach occurred. So it's definitely, definitely important for MSPs to encourage their clients and pretty much make it mandatory to have MFA enabled everywhere. Yeah, wow. I mean, it seems like this should just be a checkbox at this point. I think part of the problem is that unless they're forced to do it, 
A lot of people aren't going to do it, number one. Number two, just ease of deployment, right? A lot of MSPs are already juggling, I don't know, 40 different things at once between all the different vendors and technologies they're using. And like, if it's not simple, you know, they kind of push it off, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I hate to even contemplate that, but I mean, that's really what does happen. The and more this is, is the harder to, you know, yeah, so. this is, this is where the, ma the managed service providers really need to be the subject matter experts for their clients and sort of force feed them from time to time, right? Hey, if you're my client, you're using backup, you're using EDR, you're using email security, you're using multi-factor authentication. If you don't want those things, you're not my client, period, end of discussion. Uh, so you're, we're probably gonna see that more and more of these mandatory tech stacks, especially as MSPs begin to adapt and become more MSSPs with a security focus. We absolutely see that on our end. Okay. So where do you think your solution just absolutely crushes it? And where do you think, eh, maybe not the best fit? Yeah. So if you're a small to medium-sized business, and when I say small to medium-sized business, I'm talking about an organization that has one employee to 500 employees. Uh, I think that's absolutely a slam dunk for us all day, every day. Where Duo and Okta might be a better fit is if you're dealing with larger enterprises with thousands and thousands of users or specifically compliance-focused uh, customers, you know, GDPR, or they need an AWS GovCloud-hosted identity provider, like where it's like more in the weeds, that's where those enterprise features might kick in that we're not a perfect fit for. Whereas, again, small to medium-sized business where they're looking for uh, multi-factor authentication that's easy to use, that can be installed on their phone, that's cost-effective, where you don't have to sign up with a, a thousand minimum and a 10-year contract, you know, that's our bread and butter is, is those types of organizations. Okay. And then, like, what does the deployment look like, right? Like, how, how, what are, you know, just loosely, what are the steps to go from, all right, I'm ready to sign up to, okay, my customer's now online. Yeah, so it's really not that bad. We could have you up and running uh, within a few hours. Our, our support team is awesome. They're US-based, they're here for you. Basically what we do is we migrate and sync all your users from your directory. So whether you're using Azure AD, on-prem AD, Google Workplace, we could also offer you directory as a service as well, where we'll host your user's profile if needed. Uh, from there, we install the Evo agent onto your client's machines, their workstations and servers. Typically, that's done using a script through your RMM. So if you're using, you know, ConnectWise or Data or Ninja, it doesn't matter. We'll roll out our script and install the software there. And then the last step is really having your users enroll and download the Evo app on their smartphone. And that's where they're going to get their push notifications. Hey, George, are you trying to log in through Tampa, Florida right now? Approve. You're logged in. You're good to go. Okay. And then like your agent works across all the operating systems. Is it yep. Mac and Windows? Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, Mac and Windows right now. Yep. Uh, no Linux. We're not seeing a huge demand for MFA on Linux. We'll probably get around to it, but it's uh, mainly uh, Windows and Mac. Yep. Servers, workstations. Yes. What about SaaS applications? Yep. So again, our MFA will work on any sort of endpoint, any sort of web applications like Office 365, Google Apps, Zoom, really anything that supports a SAML certificate we'll be able to work with. And then we could also support MFA on your network firewall appliances, firewalls, routers, switches, et cetera. We'll host a cloud radius server for you. And that's how we'll be able to establish the MFA connection from there. What about VPNs? Yep. Yep. That's done via radius. Okay. Sounds like it has all the checkboxes. Yeah. <laughs> and so 
We're growing and we're growing fast. We started this year with about 25 MSPs utilizing our platform. We're at about 150 MSPs right now. And, uh, you know, we, we got into the, the market a little late this year where we weren't able to spend a million dollars and go to, you know, 300 trade shows maybe next year, but we've been very selective. We've only gone to two or three trade shows this year. So the 150 has mainly been through word of mouth, LinkedIn, Reddit, people finding us, people recommending us. And, you know, we're hoping by this time next year, we're over a thousand MSPs. That's awesome. I love this story, by the way, because like I am. I've been there, right? I know exactly what it feels like. Getting traction, uh, to your point, you know, in a, in a world that's largely event focused is kind of hard, right? Uh, I know you guys, uh, I know you guys partnered up with ConnectWise, I believe, right? Yep. Over there on the other side. So, yep. so we've been going to a lot of ConnectWise events since we're sold through ConnectWise. And then Evo's also at a lot of events because uh, one of our other distributors, uh, Solutions Granted, goes to tons of events, especially the ASCII events as well. So we do get... Uh, out and about at those events through our two strategic partners, ConnectWise and Solutions Granted. Awesome. So is there anything else other than the MFA and identity thing that you do? Yeah. So we also offer our privileged access management solution, which is more of a product that MSPs use internally to make themselves uh, more secure. And you're going to be seeing a lot of vendors starting offering uh, privileged access management. I'm sure you've probably spoken with the great folks at CyberQP a few times uh, on this. Uh, I know that Auto Elevate has a product. Threat Locker has their elevation control product. So with us, those are all great products. Uh, with us over here at Evo, we're trying to kill two birds with one stone, right? We're giving our MSPs the privileged access management piece to protect themselves, as well as the MFA and SSO piece that they could both use internally, but also resell to their clients and make a monthly recurring revenue out of. Okay. So for people who don't understand the moniker, right? So that's where you eliminate admin rights on all the machines that, you know, all the workstations. And then effectively when somebody goes to install something new, they actually like, they're, they're not going to just be able to install whatever they want. They actually have to go through another process. Correct. That, that's when they would reach out to their MSP because you don't want Mary from marketing installing something that she shouldn't be installing, right? So typically it's the managed service provider that's logging in as an admin to make that modification, install that new piece of software, et cetera. The issue with that process is that a lot of MSPs today, they're, they're sharing credentials. Oh, you're, I'm going to log into my client site right now using ConnectWise. Done. Oh, UAC prompt pops up. Where's that username and password? Let me log into IT glue. Let me log into LastPass. I'm going to do the old copy and paste of that admin password. Uh, if you're doing that, that's a big no-no. Please use privileged access management. Even if it's one of my competitors, please use privileged access management. The way that we tackle it here at Evo is that um, copying and pasting is really a thing of the past. Basically, MSPs technicians are able to log in as themselves with their own username and password. So George is going to log in as George. And when George needs admin credentials to that client site, he'll press a button at the UAC prompt, which will then send a push notification to his phone that he can approve. And his account is now elevated into an admin role. So at no point during that login process, do you have to copy and paste passwords? Do you have, do you have to expose your technicians to the passwords? Because ultimately, when a technician sees that admin credential, you're exposing it to them. You fire that MSP technician today, they're walking out the doors with the keys to the kingdom, and then you have to manually update and rotate passwords, which could be, be very, very time consuming. I was on the phone with an MSP uh, about a month ago. He said, 
I have delayed firing my tech because I know he's seen all the passwords and it's such a pain in the ass to change and rotate all those passwords at my client. So yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Definitely uh, check out privileged access management if you're still copying and pasting passwords. I've delayed firing my tech. Wow. Yep. That is interesting. <laughs> yep. You can't make it up. <laughs> wow. Um, where do you see the industry going, Nick? I mean, you've been around this now for a long time. Um, a lot of people feel like that 2014 to 2019 was like the supercharged kind of year so far in this industry. Um, I'm curious, right? Like, do you, obviously you, you could have left the industry, could have gone to work for enterprise or anywhere else. You decide to stick here. What, what do you, what do you, uh, yeah. Do you have a positive view on where this goes moving forward or what? Yeah, I absolutely see it on the rise for sure. I think MSPs are here and they're here to say, stay. I think the market is going through a changing transition. You know, uh, 15 years ago, you had organizations going from your break fix to your MSP, right? Offering IT services. Now I think it's going to evolve and you're going to see a lot of organizations go from MSP to more MSSP, managed security service provider, leading with security first instead of we'll install a server or we'll, we'll, we'll set you up in Microsoft first. It's, it's definitely going to be a, a security driven approach. And we're going to see a lot more automation, whether it's through uh, programs that are automating things or artificial intelligence that's coming into play. It's going to be a lot more automated. That that's where I see it going in the future. Okay. So let's talk about for two seconds, the MSP versus MSSP. You know, all the industry talking heads are like, hey, all these marketing terms, whatever, right? But yep. I think there's a little bit of risk and liability from the service provider standpoint when you start to say, I am a security expert. I am the one stop that you need. You don't need 30 vendors. I, you know, like, especially with this whole cyber insurance thing that you talked about earlier, I see that that definitely is an imbalance, you know, from the I, I, a service provider level, right? Yep, absolutely. So would you, you know, obviously security is a layered approach. There's no silver bullet. Like even the stuff that you guys do is part of the picture. It's not the whole picture. Yep. Um, what are you hearing MSPs doing? Is there just a whole lot of partnering going on or are they actually starting to hire in-house to bring some of these experts in? So I've seen it both ways. The bigger MSPs or MSSPs do have the ability to bring talent in-house and start forming their own socks. But I also see, you know, the majority of the market, they're using, you know, third-party sock as a service vendors. That's what made us really successful when I was reselling Scout. Uh, ConnectWise has their Perch team. Uh, Kaseya has their Rocket Cyber team. Solutions Granted, they have a sock and they're reselling Silent. So I see a lot of, smaller MSPs and MSSPs relying on already established turnkey SOC as a service vendors. Whereas if you're a bigger organization and you could find that talent, which is very hard to find, that's when they typically hire their own SOC analysts. They set up their own SIM. They ingest and analyze their own data, but those are few and far between. Okay. So in a nutshell, a lot of the MSP, the larger MSPs are building practices internally, like directly. Yep. But then everybody who's like, I'm not going to hire an ent entire new team just to do this. They're like, let's just find somebody who does this and let them do that part. Correct. Yep. That's what I've been seeing. So with people who are outsourcing, right? 
how do they manage this part of it, right? Like the part that Evo handles, like would a third party be easily able to, you know, manage the solution? Like does MSP give them access in some way? How, how does that look? Yeah, so with our privileged access management solution, it, uh, instead of that SOC or that knock analyst having to copy and paste admin passwords when they're troubleshooting or remediating it, they're just, again, they have that evil elevated access privileged access management license tied to their username, and they're able to get the admin permissions when they need it uh, without ever getting exposed to any of that uh, sensitive information. So does the SOC have like one general login for all of their people? Because there could be like a hundred people nope. there. No, 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 no. Because again, even with that, you're sharing logins. Instead, each of those SOC analysts are going to have their own username and passwords. They'll get their own push notifications when they need that admin access. Does Evo charge for the, all those people? Because it could be a lot of people. Yeah, we do. So our business model is we charge per technician, which includes unlimited endpoints. So it doesn't matter to us if those technicians are connecting to 100 endpoints or 10,000 endpoints as an admin, it doesn't matter to us. We have a per technician licensing model when it comes to our privileged access management, which is a little bit different. I know that some other vendors out there, they're charging per device, um, but that could also get very expensive. If you're an MSP that has five techs and 2,000 devices and you plan on growing another 1,000 devices in the future, that's going to get real expensive real fast, whereas typically your technicians do doesn't grow as fast. Okay. So you're, you're kind of using this newer-ish model, right? The ones that some of the people that we mentioned earlier in this call, right? The, you know, maybe the Taras and the you know, the, the synchros and the, you know, I forget how Halo does it, but bottom line is like they flip the model where it's more user driven than it or technician driven than it does end account driven. Correct. So I guess if you can figure out how to be really automated, you know, instead of five people for 2000 endpoints, what about two people? It yeah. saves money. <laughs> yeah. Well, time is money and it's, we're fine uh, helping MSPs become more efficient. And you're going to see that there's a lot more of those automated uh, uh, tools and vendors coming up, like Roost is one of them, right? They're all designed around making MSPs more efficient, more streamlined. So you're probably going to see more vendors and technologies like that popping up. That is cool. Are you, I assume that there's some sort of integration out there so that that automation can work with Evo? That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if we're there yet, but if, if there's use cases there, one of the benefits of being a privately owned company and having all of our, you know, uh, executive team here in the United States is that we're, we're pretty fast moving here. So yeah, if there, yeah. if there's something that can be creative and bring value to the MSP space, absolutely. We're open ears to that. That's awesome. Uh, I, by the way, you know, I love, again, this, you know, this, this stage of companies in the sandbox, almost anything's, you know actually doable right not hey we're going to put it on this board we'll get back to it later right it's like oh yeah we can do that we'll get back to you yeah uh, i love that i love that space right because that's when like real innovation happens on the fly mm -hmm. um when you're talking to an msp right a lot of the times when your chair the problem is everybody says everything right everybody's oh i'm big i got a lot of customers i got a lot of employees like there's a little bit of vetting that happens the other way too, right? Are you for real? <laughs> Are you just blowing up your 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 profile here? Or are you actually doing this work? I like to stalk my clients on LinkedIn. If if you tell me you have 20 employees and 2,000 customers, but your website's down and I can't find you on LinkedIn, like come on. 
I, I think um, from that angle, if you were to tell an MSP, here are the things you should concentrate on to make sure that you look the way that you should online, what, what would you tell them? Yeah, so definitely, definitely get your presence on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, for sure. That way your customers know who you are, what your history is. That's your resume on paper. Have a good looking website as well as uh, get some videos and some content on there. Whether it's podcasts you're on, webinars you're on, do webinars with your vendors. That way, instead of being Joe Blow the MSP, you're Joe Blow the subject matter expert in your particular reason talking about all these topics. That's that's pretty good advice, actually. Um, let's talk about events for a second since we started down that, down that path uh, earlier. Um, there's a lot of them, and they're really expensive for some reason. Mm-hmm. What's your, you know, I like you said, hey, I don't have a million dollars to do all these shows. I mean, sometimes that's not enough if you're really going haywire. Yeah. You've been around for a long time. Do they work? Is there value there, Nick? Absolutely. I mean, again, this this comes from during my time when I was going to trade shows uh, with Rob Ray and, you know, we had the unlimited data, the unlimited data bar tab. Ultimately, though, you know, when you're engaging an audience with, with MSPs and vendors face-to-face, you know, it it obviously makes uh, a a huge difference for sure. You could get more traction there in that short time span than you can, you know, months trying to talk to them on the phone. Uh, That being said, you have to consider it within reason, right? If your average deal that you're closing is, you know, say a thousand dollars a month in MRR, and it costs you a hundred thousand dollars to attend that one event for three days, that's a lot of partners you got to close in that very short time span. And, you know, even on a good, at a good trade show, you're getting 50 to 150 business cards. Yeah. So I would say going to trade shows is that for vendors, at least is absolutely important. Going to trade shows for MSPs is absolutely important because you get to see what's new and upcoming. You get to see Evo, you get to see, you know, all these other new vendors that haven't been around the block for the last 10 years popping up. And even if you're not a fit for their product now, it's good to see, wow, why are there three vendors offering privileged access management? Last time I went to this show, nobody was talking about it. You know, this thing must be up and coming. I got to do more research. So it's definitely beneficial for both the MSPs to learn what's out out there, what's trending, what's new. And it is benefit beneficial for, um, the vendors as well to go to them, you know, within reason. Within reason. That is a big underlying bold. Yeah. Switch the color there. Um, I'd rather attend five, five events as a silver sponsor than just one event as your mega diamond ultra no expenses paid uh, a partner. Yeah, I agree. I, I love the new one, right? Now it's not even the diamond. It's the corporate. Jeez corporate level sponsor. Those are, those are always interesting. Um, if I had money, I would just spend it on sponsoring block parties. I hear there's this organization that runs really awesome block parties. That's where I'm going to put my marketing budget. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. 100%. Because then at <laughs> least there's like a cool story after it, right? Absolutely. Um, any cities that you've been to for conferences in your in your history that you're like, absolutely love this, would, would definitely go back? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know that I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for this, but I love Vegas. I really, I really do. I know, I know it's crazy. I know it's tiring 
and I've lost a lot of money at the craps table playing next to Irvish and some other uh, Daddle, uh, other Daddle alumni there. But uh, there's just so much to do in Vegas. Even if, even if you're not a casino person, even if you're not there for the nightlife. Last time I was there, I went to uh, Death Valley National Park. It was a it was a two hour drive away. Um, you know, so so there's a lot to do in that general area for sure. And then uh, I'm always a sucker for going to Orlando. Um, I, I visit Orlando so much for work and trade shows that I actually have an annual pass to Disney World because I'm no. probably there once every other month, whether it's for IT Nation or or this event or that event that, yeah, I, I still have a, a Disney annual pass to this day. Wow. What's the yeah. price on that now? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's crazy. It's like fi- it's 1500 uh, bucks a month. Or, or so, but I worked it out. I worked it out. Uh, the average ticket to Disney is uh, $200 a day, give or take. So okay. if I go there eight times a year, it pretty much pays for itself. Um, and again, when you're go- when I go to uh, Florida, probably once a month, once every two months, you know, I probably- so wait, Is it $1,500 a year or $1,500 a month? Uh, it's $1,500 a year. Okay, I was like, year. so as long wow. as you go to the yeah, as long as you go to the park at least eight days a year, that's totally fine. So usually when I'm in Florida for an event, I'll tack on a day beforehand or afterhand to have a uh, a mental health day and then uh, enjoy some rides. Okay, fifteen hundred a year doesn't sound like it's really that bad, actually. Yeah, I feel like every other event is in Orlando for some reason. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're not not a Universal guy, Nick. Uh, I have one of the, those passes too. Those, those are Universal was only four hundred bucks. That one was much more affordable. Between the two, you're good to go. Yep, yep, definitely. Are Are you a fan of the electric rental car? Is that yeah? What are your thoughts? Eh, not really. I'm old fashioned. Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a gas person or Uber. Yeah. I do a lot of Ubering. I, I'm. I'd rather be in an Uber and respond to emails, respond to partners, than have to worry about driving. So you're the Uber Uber Diamond level at this yeah. point. Sounds like. uh, yeah, lot, lots of Uber credits. Yes, yes, yes. All right. I, I'm doing all the travel stuff because people always love this stuff. Airlines. JetBlue. Absolutely. JetBlue. JetBlue. Yeah. Okay. Jet, and, JetBlue. No problems, huh? JetBlue. Well, so I'm in uh, Connecticut. I'm in New England and like their hubs are around here. So yeah, JetBlue has gotten me every there, er, everywhere I wanted uh, without fail. Uh, yeah. They've they've uh, they've taken care of me. Yeah, gotcha. That's interesting. You get a power outlet. You get a TV. You get free Wi-Fi. You get free drinks. You get free snacks. Uh, yeah. When I went to when I went to uh, IT Nation in Europe in London back in March, they even gave us uh, free alcohol. So really, yeah, that's a thing. Apparently, I need to go to more European shows. Well, I, I didn't realize JetBlue was flying internationally. Yeah. Huh. I'll check yep. that out. Um. Have you done much in your, obviously you said you went to London earlier this year, but like, have, have you really made it across the ocean that much? No. So going to IT Nation in, in uh, March was really my first time in Europe uh, for work. I did a lot of traveling for Datto uh, to non-Europe. I went to Canada uh, a few times to train their office. I went all around the United States. I even went to their uh, Seattle, uh, their uh, Sydney, Australia office to train the Australian sales team. But yeah, um, that was my first time going to Europe for work. I think we're a few years out from really penetrating the European market just because there's there's so much opportunity here in North America. So we want to get a good foothold here in North America before we have some more uh, aggressive expansion plans there overseas. London or Sydney? Ooh, 
I would say Sydney. Sydney, Sydney, London was good, but yeah, Sydney was absolutely beautiful. And yeah, Sydney That's was awesome. great. Um, I assume because you guys are still really in startup mode, <laughs> you're going to be doing a lot of what we did early days, right? A lot of flying from one country to the other as you guys grow, right? I remember one time I went to London for an auto testing. I came back. The the offsite shuttle, you know, parking lot guy closed the door on my hand, went to urgent care, <laughs> tried to get it wrapped up. A couple of days later, I jump on a plane to Sydney and then my uh, my bag ends up in L.A. instead of Sydney. I don't know. understand how that happened. And then uh, and then I went from Sydney first time ever through that Middle Eastern route, went to Abu Dhabi and then back to London for another event. And then I came back and that was two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully next year we'll be able to travel a lot more uh, now that we've built up our partner base here. We could actually start meeting more of our partners in person. I foresee that happening uh, for sure. Yep. Best advice. Watch your hands in the door, man. Yes. Wash your hands and always have hand sanitizer on you. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Ho hopefully the airline, I feel, I feel like all the travel expenses have gone up like noticeably. I don't know why. Um, yep. like 30%, 40%, 50% more sometimes. And it's like, where did this happen? But yeah, I hope that that actually doesn't continue that path. Especially if you have to pay for it personally and it's not going to your company expense account. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I know uh, not everybody get, I don't, I don't know how Datto did it, but not everybody gives out corporate credit cards, man. Uh, I had one at Datto. Yeah. Oh, you did? Okay. Yep, uh, I did. It it wasn't the uh the diamond black card like Rob probably had, but yeah, I had one. Got it. Yeah. I love how everybody's all after the points these days, right? Where they're like, well, I want to put on my card so I can get the, you know, Amex points. Yep. And then I'll just have to wait for 60 days to get reimbursed. But depends how much you rack up on that card. Mm -hmm. Do a couple uh Rob Ray style bar tabs. <laughs> you may think Jeez, like, that, that's a down payment on a house right there. <laughs> Oops. Um, what's, you know, what's your opinion on, you know, consolidation in the marketplace? I mean, it, I, it's happening, uh, kind of hard not to notice it. Do you think there's enough new guys popping up like Evo that are going to come in and kind of replace some of the people that have got gobbled up or is it not happening fast enough? I think there's going to be a good steady flow of new businesses, uh, that are popping up, but I still don't think it's going to be fast enough. If you're a big company and you're going to acquire some other technology, don't increase prices. Don't force people into contracts. Do not force feed your customers. Let them come to you. Let the dust settle from the acquisition and let your customers go from you. Don't be so aggressive to, oh, we just spent all this money on this uh, you know, new company that we bought. Now we have to jack up prices or force feed all these customers to buy it to, to pay off the debt have a more slower approach. You know, if you have an awesome product in an awesome story, you know, you don't need to buy a, a basketball arena, right? You could just have your customers come to you because they believe in the product. Loud and clear, Nick. Yeah. I heard you, buddy. <laughs> um, or I, I assume we're going to see you at least at IT Nation in, in Orlando. Yep. We'll be at IT Nation or Orlando for sure. I believe uh, some of the team members and myself are going to be at uh, Datocom Miami as well. Cause okay. You know, I, even though a lot has changed, I spent a good nine-ish years at Dado, still got a lot of friends and family and love over there. So I'm going to try to make that one as well. 
Awesome. So we're going to see it at Datacon in Miami, first week of October. We're going to see it at IT Nation, I think, second week in November. So those ones are definitely circled. Is there anything else you guys have in the calendar for the rest of the year? Those are, those are the two big ones. We're going to be doing a lot more virtual events, webinars, podcasts, things of that nature. And then 2024 is really going to be the year where we turn up the heat. And you'll probably see more of us uh, having a presence at, at those shows. Gotcha. For anybody out there looking for a job, I assume you're still hiring. Oh, yeah, we, we definitely are. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, we're, we're never afraid to look at some good talent. Awesome. See that, guys? And everybody thought there's no jobs out there. Come on. Yeah. Technology sector, right? I, I, here, I got one on the way out the door here. Are you one of those people that's, that feels like, hey, you know, regardless of what's happening majoritively in the world, that the technology sector kind of runs in its own lane? Um. It does. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, everybody's, even during the worst of worst economies, you're still going to need technologies. You're still going to need security. Fair. For some reason, like it doesn't, it just doesn't get affected as badly as other industries. It's just yeah. not saying it's Teflon, but it definitely doesn't work the same way. Yeah. I mean, when COVID happened, I, if I you're an airline person act. or a hotel, that, yeah. yeah, when COVID happened, if you were working in an airline or a hotel, that's bad news, but the technology service industry absolutely boomed. Everybody needed their laptops to work from home. And yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was a good payday for at least a good amount of the MSPs that were out there. 100%. Where do people find you online? How do they get more information? How do they learn more? All that. Yeah. So you could uh, connect with me, uh, LinkedIn uh, uh, forward slash Wolf Nick. Uh, my website is uh, evosecurity.com. We're more than happy to chat with you. Or you could shoot me an email at uh, nick.wolf at evosecurity.com. That's evosecurity.com. By the way, I mean, you're in sales. Your last name's Wolf. How, how much better can it be? I'm always hungry like the wolf for a new <laughs> for the next sale. Yeah. <laughs> it's It just lines perfectly, man. Um, Nick, it was really nice chatting with you, man. I'm um, looking forward to running into you here in the next month or you know, a couple months at least. I you know, definitely will be at both of those coming up and um, happy to see that you have anchored yourself in MSP land, right? Like you had a lot of opportunities, I'm sure, you know, post Datto and you went to two channel companies back to back after that. I think, I think you like the sandbox brother. I, I absolutely do. Yes, sir. <laughs> awesome. Well guys, this session was recorded. We'll post it up on mspinitiative.com under sessions. Don't hesitate to reach out to Nick on both sides of the aisle. It sounds like he'll take your, your email, LinkedIn or phone call either way. Um, so hopefully you checked them out. Um, I personally love the MSP channel story. So any company that's embedded there, I, I, I feel the love, man. So definitely hope that you guys expand your, uh, your view. Uh, Nick, see you soon. Everybody else, Tuesdays, Thursdays, 1 o'clock Eastern time here at MSP Initiative or 24 hours a day at mspinitiative.com. Thank you very much and catch you on the flip side, my friend. Thanks for having me. You got it. See ya.